Well, good to see you this morning. Isn't God's presence something so valuable? Isn't it? Isn't it very valuable? It's very valuable. I'm so glad you made the appointment to come meet with the Lord today. It's made a special uh, place in my heart to see you here. So glad you're here. Hey, listen, just a couple notes, housekeeping notes. This Christ and the Freedom Conference coming up, you really don't want to miss this. If you're here and you feel like, man, you're just kind of stuck in a rut, um, if you're going around and you're finding yourself still dealing with things that you thought you'd be done dealing with by this time in your life, let me just tell you something. This place, this Crossing the Freedom Conference, Friday, Saturday, is where you need to be. We, you will see miracles take place. It's going to be it's going to be powered by some really incredible people. We're going to be talking about all sorts of subjects, anger and unforgiveness and father and mother wounds. And I'm going to end the conference with us teaching that I want to introduce people to my best friend called the Holy Spirit. And we're just going to have a wonderful time at that conference. We encourage you, please, whatever it takes for you to be there, you need to be a part of that conference this weekend. Check it out, the Connect Center. Hey, listen, one other thing I want to let you know about. This Thursday, we are calling the church to a day of prayer and fasting. This Thursday um, is going to be very pivotal because coming the first a week of December, in fact, I believe it's December 1st, the Supreme Court is going to be having a hearing. Uh, it's called the Dobbs versus Jackson uh, Women's Health Center. And it is a um, case that's been worked all the way up to the Supreme Court where Mississippi had passed a law that there could be no more abortions after 15 weeks. Now, Texas has already passed a law that's already been heard as well, the heartbeat bill, and that's being considered as well. And we're excited about that. But we feel, we feel that uh, this abortion, um, this, this abortion law, it, if, uh, if we can get this thing really put in place, it will begin the first steps of dismantling the Roe versus Wade decision made in 1973. Because at 15 weeks, a baby feels pain. It um, has hands, it has feet, it's fully formed nose and lips and eyebrows. It's stretched out, it sees light. And um, so the bill says it makes no sense. I mean, the only way you can, you know, I hate to be graphic, but the only way you can abort a baby at, after 15 weeks is to, t to dismember the, the little child. And it's just, it's wrong. And there's 198 nations in the world, and there's only seven nations in the world that allows abortion to take place past seven, uh, uh, 15 weeks. And America is one of those seven nations, along with China and North Korea. And we don't need to be in that category. And so we are believing that the Supreme Court justice will begin to hear God. And so we've been praying about this. This is the first opportunity we have as a nation, as a country, to see something this significant begin to be dismantled. And so I, I beg you and I challenge you to join me this Thursday for a day of prayer and fasting for our nation. Maybe for you that means miss a meal. Maybe it mis means missing all three meals or maybe it means uh, getting off Facebook or not watching the new, whatever that fast looks like, do something and turn that time into a prayer to the Lord for the sake of the unborn that can't say anything. Can we do that? Can we do that together? Can we make that decision? Amen. 
a lighter note, a buddy, uh, uh, an old farmer, his name was Buddy, and his wife, they would go to the state fair every year, and they would just uh, mingle around. They loved going to the state fair, and, and every time they went, old Buddy and his wife, the farmer, he would uh, make his way over there to the free, excuse me, not the free, the $50 uh, plane rides being offered. And he just thought that would be the greatest thing to ride in an open air cockpit plane. And, and so he would see the sign, $50 plane ride, and he turned to his wife, sweetheart, let's do it. Son, honey, we can't. We, 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 why not? Because $50 is $50. All right, and so year after year, he would see the sign, see the pilot, see the opportunity and be told $50 is $50, we can't do it. And so finally, one day, one year, the pilot was sitting there and he'd seen this couple every year and he goes, look, I tell you what, I know you want to take her. He goes, I really do. So I'll, I'll, do, I'll work something out for you. I will give you a free ride in this open cockpit plane, you and your wife, only one condition. He goes, what's that? He said, you cannot yell, scream, or shout on this ride I'm going to give you. And if you shout, scream, or yell, make any kind of noise, then you got to pay me $50. He looked at his wife. He smiled. She looked at him. He said, can we do it? She goes, I think we can. He said, all right, a deal's a deal. So they got in the plane. That pilot took off, and he acted like that plane was a Blues Angels, you know, special. I, he he was doing, he was doing, climbing and doing stalls and turning into dives and doing barrel rolls and doing some maneuvers that he hadn't done. Not a peep out of this couple, not one noise, not one sound, nothing. He, he kept doing, he kept going and going or a circle is doing everything, nothing. Finally, he landed and he's, he's taxiing back to his parking spot. He yells back to the old farmer, goes, I tell you what, I... I've taken people for years on these rides and I did everything I could to get you guys to yell and scream and shout something and nothing, not a peep. He says, you impressed me. The old farmer yelled back, goes, yeah. It was pretty hard though when my wife fell out, but I kept my mouth shut because $50 is $50. Come on, somebody. <laughs> uh. So the question this morning for us, we're going to jump into uh, maybe a one-time sermon. We're, we're done with characters. Um, thank the Lord for that long series, but we had a wonderful time. I'm moving on to something else. Our title of our message today is The Fox Soul. And my question is, what do, you, what do you do and where do you go when you're trying to do something good and it just doesn't work out? And what options do you have when you feel like you feel God in the assignment that he gave you? Or... Where do you go when you've dropped the ball and didn't keep your word? Where do you turn when your intentions were good but somehow someone just got hurt? And how can you continue on with life when you feel like God and perhaps others have let you down even unintentionally? What do you do? I think those are good questions this morning. So I want you to turn to your neighbor and I want you to tell them for me, Pay attention, this is for you, all right? Will you tell them that for me? Thank you very much, thank you. So the reality is, life really does, doesn't have a way of letting you down. 
Sometimes people let you down. Sometimes you think God lets you down. Sometimes you let others down. And there are times that you find yourself in a spot that you didn't ask for, right? It just happened. There was unintended casualties and you don't really know how it happened or why it happened to you, but it happened. In the Old Testament, God realized that there would be these kind of situations that would take place. And he said to Joshua and his people as they were getting ready to settle into a new country, a new land, he said, here's, here's what I want you to do. I, I, I want to give the Levites, Levites don't get a, a geographical location. The Levites, the, the priesthood, they're going to get cities. They're going to get 48 cities and, and, and scattered throughout the land. And, and that's where the tribe of Levi is going to live in, in these certain cities. And, but, but there's going to be six of these cities that are going to be designated differently. Uh, they're going to be what God would say, I want you to call cities of refuge. Now I did a I was reading the scripture years ago on an airplane and I came across this passage. I said to myself, oh, I'm gonna preach this message. This was years ago. And I just felt like two weeks ago, the Lord said, this is the time to preach it for whatever reason. So I feel for whatever reason, today's an important day for somebody or maybe quite a few people here today. God knew that there would be collateral damage within society. He knew that there would be people that would <clears throat> hurt other people accidentally. He knew that there would be people unintentionally harming someone else. He knew that there would be people wounding others. He knew that there would be people being paralyzed or maimed or even killed by others unintentionally and others hurting you and you hurting others. You didn't mean harm, it just happened. You didn't mean to say that, it just came out. You didn't mean to do that, it just kind of played out that way. You didn't, you didn't, you didn't, we, we, I wasn't thinking, I, I wasn't paying attention, I, I was a little careless, perhaps I was self-absorbed, I, I didn't mean to do what I did, it just kind of happened. Am I talking to anybody this morning? It just happened, I don't know how it happened, it, it just happened. And these kind of situations will hurt us many times for years. Another reason why you need to be a part of Crossing the Freedom Conference this, this coming weekend. There are things that have happened to you or you've done to others that, you know what, you need to, you need to get to an end of that. You need to move on from that. And, and we're gonna help you do that. That's why we're gonna put this conference together. Unintentional collateral. I don't know how old my daughter, my oldest daughter Hannah was, but I think she was, she was toddling. She was a toddler and uh, maybe between one or two around that age. And uh, we were living in this house and my wife said, I need you to fix the screen door. And so it was a, my day off. I said, okay, I'll, I'll, today I'm gonna fix the screen door. And, and so I, it, it was come off the track and I got out, gone out into the garage and got my tools and, and um, put them together, put my screwdriver in the back pocket and along with some other things. And, and so I was bent down and I was, I was taking care of, of my screen door. And as I was working on the screen door, I, I, I needed to reach up here to, kind of push it in, and, and when I reached up and stood up, I did not realize that my daughter had walked up behind me on the carpet. I never heard her. And as I reached up, I felt something snag, and I heard a scream. 
to discover my daughter, Hannah, had been standing there behind me, unbeknownst to me, and when I lifted up, the screwdriver went up her cheek and to her top of her eyebrow and up her forehead. And I turned white, and Melissa came, and I came, blood started rolling, and she's screaming, and I'm like, tell me, this did not just happen. And thank God, and only God, that that screwdriver missed her eyeball by a centimeter, a millimeter. It went up her cheek, missed the eyeball, and continued on to her forehead. And we bandaged her up, and, and I, I, I wasn't the same all day. I was, I was a mess. I went to bed that night, and just reliving the story is hard for me to even think about. I, I remember laying in bed that night. I woke up in the middle of the night, and my heart was pounding, and I was sweating, and I had been dreaming that I had, I had put my daughter's eye out. And I just laid there thanking God it was a dream, but then thinking to myself, what would have happened? And Hannah, I'm sorry, again, <laughs> I apologize for the millionth time. <laughs> but what, how would I have lived my life holding my daughter and hugging her and seeing her playing outside and walking up to her every day, knowing that one eye was gone or she couldn't see out of one eye because I unintentionally just didn't think or was careless or wasn't paying attention or whatever the case would be. And I was the cause of the pain. And, I, and just the thought that I had almost maimed my daughter just... It was un unbelievable. It was hard for me to even get over. It didn't happen, but it could have happened. It came that close, that close of happening. And I think of that story, and I think of, of just life, and how many of us here, even in this room, have been in situations where you have hurt somebody, and you look back at your past, and, and, and when you think of certain people in your past, and conversations you've had, and things you've done, perhaps, and, and, and the way you've handled things, and how you maybe walked out of, of the family here, how you, 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 you said hateful words to a child there, the things that have just gone on, that, that, that you look back, and you, you just almost feel like, I, I, I'm a so ashamed, I'm so, I'm so embarrassed, I'm so filled with guilt and condemnation, I, I don't even deserve to, to live. Hmm. What do you do? What do you do when you have these situations? Where do you go? You know what you need? You need a refuge. We all in our life are going to have these times where we have to have a refuge. Where do you go when you've hurt somebody or even been hurt? Is there some place you can go? And the answer is yes. There are cities, six cities, God said, I want you to set aside. And I want you to call these cities, cities of refuge. 
And basically these cities are set up and designed to be a place where if a person happens to hurt another person accidentally, we would call that manslaughter in our time, this person could run to the city and find refuge. Now in the Eastern culture in that day and that time, honor, family honor was very, very important. And it's hard for us, us to understand that mentality in the, in the world that we live in. But the, the custom was if, if somebody in your family got hurt or, or killed, even if it was accidental, you became the closest person to that family member, became the avenger of the blood, and you were given permission to chase that person down and to kill them to protect the family honor, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And, 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 but but it was an, even, even though it was accidental, you, 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 you still could be killed. It's even practiced in some cultures, even to this day, New Guinea uh, tribes people have found, they found even to this, to this day as of recent, have uh, still operate under this family honor. I mean, I remember growing up and, and, uh, and if I heard, if another guy heard another guy talk to him about his mama, he could say anything he wants, but don't talk about his mama. Suddenly say his mama, anything, and suddenly game on. And it's, how many know what I'm talking about? It's that kind of thing, but taken to a whole nother extreme. And, 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 and so God provided an answer for these people that had in, unintentionally hurt somebody and a way of escape, if you would, from the avenger. Can I tell you today, may not be a newsflash for you, but maybe some, you don't know this, but there is an avenger of your blood. There is an avenger, we call it the devil, the Satan, whatever you, you but that, that's the term and, it's very, and he's very real. And Jesus described him as the entity that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. There is an avenger even today. And God provided, though, an alternative to people that have been sentenced with manslaughter, people living with regrets, people living with condemnation, people living with heavy hearts, and people living with shame. And so let's look at Joshua chapter 20 real quickly together. Joshua chapter 20. And let's just read a little bit about this, and then we'll unpack it for just a few moments that we have left. Tell the Israelites to designate the cities of refuge as I instructed you through Moses so that anyone who kills a person accidentally and unintentionally may flee there and find protection from the avenger of the blood. And when they flee to one of these cities, they are to stand in the entrance of the city gate and state their case before the elders of that city. And then the elders are to admit the fugitive into their city and provide a place to live amongst them. And if the avenger of blood comes in pursuit, the elders must not surrender the refuge or the fugitive because the fugitive killed their neighbor unintentionally and without malice aforethought. I know someone who was a friend who was driving down the street, went to the store just to get some groceries, some things, came back home, not speeding, not driving recklessly, just driving down the street, and suddenly a little child came from between two cars, ran in front of the vehicle, and the person had no, play, no time to even react. It just, boom, boom, and it, was, it happened. <clears throat> and after they stopped, they went back, and, 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 the, and the child had been killed. They, they killed the child. It wrecked the person for years. For, they went into a depression. It was, it was, a, it was a horrendous thing. 
But if that would have been in the Old Testament time, in the days of, of, of Joshua, what that person would have had to have done is, is they ran over the child and, and gone back perhaps and, and looked and tried to feel, you know, breath coming from the lungs and try to check for a pulse and see if there's a pulse. If there wasn't anything and, and they realized the child was dead, seeing perhaps family coming out of the door, this person would have to jump into their car and leave as fast as they could and head for the city of refuge before the family member caught them. That's how it would play out, if you would, in our day and our time. I begin to think about these cities of refuge. You would run to the city in the Old Testament and you would be safe there as long as you stayed there. But you could never come out of the city. Why? Because the avenger of the blood was waiting for you to come out of this safe place. Remember playing hide and seek and you always had base. As long as you're on base, you're safe. But, and it was the same way in that day and in that time. And, and, and I, I began to imagine the pain that was involved in that city. Mm. They were grateful that they weren't dead, but they were not alive either. Can you imagine the atmosphere that surrounded that city? Can you imagine how everyone living there was there because, not because they wanted to be, but because they were there living, fleeing from fear, and they lived in pain. It was a city that was filled with all sorts of hurt. Perhaps a man was there who had been chopping down a tree with his neighbor and clearing the ground to make a field. Perhaps he was helping his neighbor and trying to help his neighbor clear the, so they could plow the field and plant crops. And, and as he's uh, cutting down the tree, helping his neighbor, his ax head falls, flies off and hits his neighbor in the head and he falls to the ground dead. The, the man who was there helping his neighbor has now become a killer by accident. And he sees him dead and blood flowing and no pulse. And he leaves all of his gear, all of his tools there and he begins to run as fast as he can towards the city of refuge. Passing by his house, his, his wife's out in the yard. He says, I, I love you, sweetheart. And he runs and he leaves. He sees his child playing in the, in, the, in, the, in the yard. And he says, I love you, son. I love you, dad. He loves you. Never forget, he loves you, son. We're talking about real life. And they ran and looking back and coming over the, the horizon was somebody running, trying to catch up with him. And he knew what was happening. His life was on the line. He didn't mean harm. He was just trying to help a friend. Perhaps a farmer was wakened by the news that his bull had gotten out of the pasture and broken through the fence. And he goes to look for his bull and he goes down, just down the road a piece and he, 
and he finds a family gathered around and a little child had been out playing, perhaps in the little yard of the house and the bull had trampled the little child to death and the family looks up to see the owner of the bull. They knew whose bull it was. They see him, he turns, he runs. Perhaps a man is on his roof and he's got some workers underneath him and they're helping him raise the roof, add another addition to his house. And he's, he's up there and, and they're working on the mortar and the foundation down below and he's carrying a stone on top and, and he trips and, and the stone falls over the wall accidentally and it falls on one of the workers' heads. He doesn't have a chance to respond. All he does is takes off and gets off the ladder as fast as he can and he runs for his life. Now we have a city. It's called a city of refuge. If you can imagine with me, it's just filled with people, filled with pain. No one has a beautiful story. No one has things that they like to talk about that, that's filled with joy and laughter. Everybody is suffering. Everybody wants things just to go back to the way they used to be. They don't know why they're there. They don't know how things happen. They don't know why it happened to them. They replay their mistakes over and over again. Perhaps if I had checked the ax first. Perhaps if I had just done a better job mending the fence. Perhaps if I had quit being so careful careless on the wall, uh, perhaps, and all these, why this, and why me, and why did it happen, and they never got a chance to say, I'm sorry, they never got a chance to go to the family and say, I, I didn't mean for this to happen, I wish it hadn't happened, will you forgive me, I'm so sorry, is there anything I can do? Didn't get a chance to kiss their spouse goodbye, didn't get a chance, one more chance to kneel down and take their son in their arms and tell them what's about to happen and that he loves them and no matter what happens in life, don't forget your dad, he loves you, son. I'm with you, I'm for you, I'm praying for you, I gotta go. And the, and the tear and the pain, didn't have a chance to even bring closure to his family, just runs for his life. He waits for news to come from his community. Have you heard, how's my son doing? How's my wife doing? Anybody talk to my wife? How are they doing? How's the farm? How, how's my aunt, my uncle? How, is he, is, how, what is my name like in the community? Everybody talking about me? What must I, my reputation be in the community? Never able to live out their dream. Felt like they let everybody down. And everybody in the city is hurting. And everyone in the city has regrets. And everybody has a story where in one day, everything changed. You sit and have a cup of coffee with a friend in the city of refuge that you just met a few weeks ago. And you're having coffee and you're trying to act like you're okay and they're acting like they're okay. And and you're having a conversation and you just say something. You didn't just, you just mention the word or you said a name or whatever and tears start running down the person's eyes. You're like, did I say something wrong? He said, no, you just, you just brought back, a, a, I'm sorry, I'm just, I just I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just trying to work with, everybody's trying to work through something. Am I talking to anybody in the house this morning? I was uh, over in Ukraine and we were in Kyiv, Ukraine, the capital, and they took us to a, uh, a, 
a museum. It was a statue actually with a museum below it. I want to show you the picture of this um, statue. It's called the Mother Motherland. And underneath the bottom, if you can see in the bottom there, is a, it's, it's actually a museum. And I was down in that museum and, and and if you know anything about Ukraine, Ukraine is like this incredible country. It's the breadbasket of Russia when it was part of Russia. It really, literally fed Russia. But if you look at Ukraine, the history of Ukraine, every, every major war goes through Ukraine. Somehow, some way, it finds its way through Ukraine. They build up, they get tore down, they build up, they get tore down, they build up, they got, until finally Russia took them over and Russia said, yeah, you're gonna build up, but this time when you build up, you're gonna serve us. And we're going to give you a statue to remind you that you belong to us. And they have in this bottom part, this, this museum. This is now Ukraine's been set free from Russia and their own, their own country. So now they've turned this bottom part into a museum. And it's, and it's all about the war, the war, especially World War II, where they literally lost thousands and thousands of lives but to, the, to the war. And it's just picture after picture after picture after story after picture after story after picture after story of just death and devastation and pain. And it was quiet. And I just couldn't handle it. I was like, this is just getting to me. So without thinking, I started whistling. I'm looking at these stories, death, people killed, hung, you know, bullet holes. I've, a little tap on the shoulder. A lady starts speaking to me in Ukrainian. I asked my interpreter, I said, excuse me, what, what is she saying? She said, there's no whistling here. Well, can I sing a little soft tune underneath my breath? Can he sing? No singing. This is a place of mourning. We mourn here. I said to myself, how do you work here? I mean, I, I, how, how, who would want a job? Can you mourn very well? You hire, we hire you. We will pay you good money. Just be sad and just make sure everybody else is sad all the time. Now, I understand there's respect and honor and all reverence. I get that, but I, I was too much for me. And I, 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 I had to get out, and I was just a little short time in the museum. I can't imagine living in a city where everybody is mourning all the time, and all their stories are about loss after loss after loss. So this refuge is set up. It means a shelter, a, a protection from danger. It's a, a place that shows mercy. It's a place that allows you a chance to be heard and to breathe again and to live. It's a stronghold, a rock, a citadel, a haven, a foxhole. So I want to give you quickly, real quickly, lessons from the city of refuge. Number one, when you're in a city, do not leave the city. Can I just say that the city of refuge in the New Testament time, in our time, has another word. It's called the church. God has made sure he's set up a place for people to run to that have been hurt and have especially hurt others. It's the church. It's us. It's your brothers, your sisters sitting next to you. It's the body of Christ. 
And the first thing we learn about this city of refuge or the church is don't leave the church. Don't leave the city. Why, why can't I leave? Because your safety depends on the choice you make to stay within the church or the city or whether you want to venture out and do your own thing. But I'll just remind you that if you venture out and do your own thing, there's an avenger of blood waiting for you. And there is a protection. There is a covering, if you would, an umbrella over your life. As long as you remain in the city of refuge, the body of Christ connected, you stay and you'll be living again. God came to Cain, Cain had killed, it would eventually kill Abel, but God, Cain's all upset with God because he feels like God's treating him different than his brother Abel. And God says, why are you mad at me? I haven't done nothing wrong. You're the one that's done something wrong. What have I done? I ask for, all I ask for you to do is to honor me with your best, with your first fruit. Abel brings me the first fruit, the firstborn, the fattest choices of his livestock. And he sacrifices to me, to, to me because I have value to him. What do you bring me? You just bring me some fruit or vegetables from your land. It doesn't matter if it's best or not. And it doesn't matter if it's the first or not. You just bring me whatever you got hanging around the barn. And that doesn't show me value. That's why I don't favor you like I favor him. And God says this to him. Son, you got a choice to make. Either you change your attitude and how you see me and how you value me in your life or can I remind you, Mr. Cain, he says in Genesis chapter four, sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you but you must rule over it. In other words, do what's right. Stay with the program. Sacrifice a little bit. It's good for you. Yeah. Honor me, value me, lift me up, worship me, praise me. It's good for you. But if you don't do this, if you make the decision, that's not the life you want to live. Can I tell you, if you make your way out, uh, there is something crouching at the door. It's, it don't take long. It's right behind the door. It, it's not way out in the pasture. It's not down the roadways. It's right outside the door. He's waiting to pounce upon you. There's a destroyer and avenger of blood. Do not underestimate the power of the church. It's a place of refuge. Two things stand out to me. The devil's crouching, and number two, there's safety here. I was with Pastor Isaac, our recovery pastor, and we were Monday down in uh, Pascagoula and had a great opportunity to meet another brother that's running a similar type of ministry as, um, as Pastor Isaac and Big Fish. And, and uh, we just got to connect and love on the brother. And he actually has a thrift store as well. And he says, oh, we're gonna show you our thrift store. And we went down and... and and the, the thrift store is filled with people working as well that, that had been homeless and had received Christ. And, and there was this one guy in the back on the loading dock and he was working. And um, I want to show you a picture of, of him. I introduced myself and he, he says, I'm Papa Don. They call me Papa Don. And just leave the picture up for a little bit. And, and so Isaac and the other pastor went on and I, I, I felt compelled to come back. Because the, 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 the pastor told me that Papa Don had been there before he'd gotten saved and they brought him, he was homeless, they brought him in and cleaned him up and he met Jesus and was radically saved and transformed and, and after a while he, 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 you know, went back out on his own, which is fine. 
But he said the pastor said, but he came back. He's been here ever since. And, and so they went on and I came back. I said, Papa Don, I said, you got to tell me, why you, why'd you come back? And why are you here? And he smiled like he's smiling there. And he said, when you're looking for love and money and all that kind of stuff, money doesn't really matter because you're looking for love and money doesn't give you love. And I needed peace. And I needed, he said, a safe place. And it's here. And he said, it's huge. And I cannot leave. I said, I got to take a picture of Papa Don. Come on, I don't have a Papa Don. I want to take a picture of Papa Don. So we took a little picture and he smiled. Number two, I learned from the city of refuge that when you're in the city, you need to look for the comforter because the comforter's here. Jesus would call him the Holy Spirit. And he would say to his disciples, he said, look, when you, when you leave, and when I leave, when I go back to be with the Father, I want you to stay in the city of Jerusalem. That was the last place they wanted to stay. Because I want you to stay there, and if you'll stay in the city, if you'll stay put, I promise you I will send you something powerful called the Holy Spirit filled with power. And his power, my power, will be greater than your fear of the future. The church will reveal the comforter to you, the Holy Spirit. I, I'm excited to be able to introduce to you this weekend this, at the conference, my friend, the Holy Spirit that I'm talking to you about. The third thing I learned about the city of refuge is that whatever my state, I've got to stay engaged. My future depends on my ability to abide and remain and be plugged in. How many know the hardest thing for a young child, right, is to sit still? That's what I hated about church. I grew up in the church. It was, it was I didn't need to go to hell. I was hell every Sunday. I mean, seriously, they, 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 they had wooden pews that they would put pledge on and wax every week. And then my mom would give me polyester suit I had to always wear. And I, my feet wouldn't touch the floor. And the, my dad and my mom would say, now sit up straight. I would sit up straight and I would just... <laughs> and my dad would thump me in the ear, sit up, sit I mean, he didn't do that. I mean, just... I would spin off. I, son, why can't you sit still? After school, going on, I could just sit still. I can't sit still. You give me these stinking polyester pants on a wax pew. It doesn't work. Hardest thing to do, even as a young person in Christ is to just sit still. Just sit in the body of Christ and let the Lord heal you. Just let the Lord comfort you and, and overwhelm you with his great love and mercy. Amen. 
Stay engaged to Christ. Stay and listen for his voice. Begin to learn how to ask him, God, how do you want to flow through me today? Because remember, Jesus said to us in the book of John 15, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. What does that mean? That, that you're plugged into me. So if you'll abide in me, then I'll abide in you. And I'm going to be able to flow. My strength will flow from me and into you. All you have to do is abide. It's not rocket science. Just stay plugged in. Stay engaged. Serve, serve, and love Jesus with all your heart. And I promise you, the avenger won't touch you. Real quickly, I got to go. I got to get. So, so I was in, in this transition season of my life at one time. And we were in the Midwest, and I was living with my parents and trying to figure out what the next move was for our life. And 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 God wasn't speaking. Things were silent. And nothing was opening up. And so I went and got a construction job and working construction. And I felt like. And every morning I was like, you know, I hate construction. I'm not a construction guy. I, I can rip something up, but I can't build it. I'm just not that guy. If you want something, but somebody to build something, don't. Don't call me. But if you want to rip it up, I'm your man. I can, I can, I can mess this thing up. But so I'm working construction. I'm like, man, this is like totally beyond me. And and I'm like, I, I'm miserable. I'm I'm going to work. It's still dark outside. It's, and everything's. Every, I don't know where I'm going. My, my wife's pregnant. Everything. I'm, not, I'm living with my parents. What's going on? All this stuff is. I, and and I just feel like the Lord just say, just be still and just serve me. Does everything have to be perfect for you, son? Do you, do you have to just feel like everything's got to be just right for you? So I get up every morning, I do my devotion, spend some time with the Lord, spend some time worshiping the Lord, and we go. To, I go to the, uh, the, the office, and, and I get. I say, God, just put me with the guys you want me. And so they would break us up, and and I, wherever I was. I was just talking to him about Jesus. I mean, I wouldn't come off strong. I wouldn't, I wouldn't strong be just getting to know him, being a friend. But as, as you're just talking to people, stuff, oh, doors open. You just realize, oh, I, I, need to, I need to step into that one right there. And I, and I remember, I remember I, like, like it was yesterday, we're working on this like three-story steep-pitched roof and we're, we're, we're harnessed in, we got ropes and we got shingles and we're, we're like hanging, you know, putting in shingles. I got a guy here, his name is Eddie. I'm putting, he's there. And, and I remember having this conversation. And it come to this point. I mean, I've been talking to him for a while. Now we're at this point. And finally I said, Eddie, do you know Jesus? <laughs> well, not really. Well, Eddie, you need to know Jesus. And I remember just like leading them to the prayer right there on a rooftop. I remember taking up flooring and, and talking to this guy named John and, and it came to this, we're we now friends. And John, do you know Jesus? Well, not really. You need to know Jesus. And I led him to the Lord. He's already kneeling down. I said, we're right there. We're at the right spot. Come on, let's go. And I lead him to Jesus. After six months of working construction, finally the Lord says, I want you to start a church. And I'm like, well, all right. And so we started church in a, in a it was a, a daycare. Let me tell you something. If you can worship God in the midst of urine, <laughs> it was just the smell of urine everywhere. Just like, it was not the fragrance of the Lord. I mean, you know, the Bible says to lift up holy hands and offer up your praise as a sweet incense. I'm like, God's like going, Phew. 
We're, we're, we're loving. And I look out. I'm leading the worship and I'm singing. I'm preaching. I'm doing everything. And I look out at our little church. And 25% of the people in the church were from the construction company. I didn't know that I was building the church. But I was building the church. Just whatever, wherever you're at, just stay engaged. I'll have the band come and close this out, but I, I, the cities of refuge, all of them are descriptions of the church. Really quickly, I'll run them through while the band's coming up here. Kadesh, the name Kadesh means holy place. I mean, no, this is what the church is. It's a holy place. The whole world out there is unholy. But if they want to find holiness, it's right here. The second city was called Shechem. It means back or shoulder. In other words, it's a place where people have your back. It's a place where you can lean in with your shoulder into, into the strength that they bring to your life. Three, Kiriath Arba. It means the city of the four giants. Can I tell you that the body of Christ, the church, covers the four corners of the earth and it's powerful. It's a giant in the earth. We were just talking about this morning, John Walker in our small group that we have with the fire department every Sunday morning, we were talking with the guys and John made this statement, powerful statement. He says, if you took the church out of the earth, you would have anarchy and destruction in just a matter of a short period of time. It's called the city of the four giants. We are the city of the four giants, the powerful giants in the earth. We are Bezer, what a great name. In the earth, what's Bezer mean? Gold before it's refined. That's what Bezer means. Can I just remind you that we're all in process. We're all making mistakes. We don't do things right all the time. And, and we say things that we probably shouldn't have said, but, but, but we ask for forgiveness and the other person forgives us and, and they say things to you and they hurt you. And, but but we're, we're in process. We're, we're yet un, we're, we're unrefined gold. Number five, Ramoth. Ramoth is Gilead. It means heights, high things, difficult to get to places. Can I remind you that the church is God's tool to take you to your fullest potential? Can I remind you that the church is, is, is what God wants to use to call you to go higher? Who will not, it will challenge you not to sit and be stale just where you're at, but God wants to move you to another level. Every season of your life, he's taking you to another place. It's called Ramoth. And lastly, the church, Golan, means their captivity and their rejoicing. Can I remind you that the church is a place where I enter into true joy by serving. I've become a slave unto being a servant. In Mark, Jesus said, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. Even as the Son of Man did not come to, to be served, but to serve. And lastly, as we close this morning. The question has to be asked, how long do you stay in the city of refuge? It's a good question. Am I bound to this city for the rest of my life with a bunch of knuckleheads who just 
made mistakes their whole life like I have? Is this my destiny? This is my lot to live in this place of grief and mourning and shame and guilt and condemnation for my whole life and regret for all the things that have happened that I didn't intend to happen. And here's the good news. The answer is no. The answer is no. So how was a person ever released from the city of refuge? The Bible says when the high priest dies, your day's over. When the high priest takes his last breath, everyone in the cities of refuge are set free. <laughs> oh my gosh. Can you imagine? Here you are, just working away in the city of refuge. You've seen these walls for years, perhaps decades. You've heard every story imaginable. Nothing surprises you anymore, along with your own stories. And one day you're working, and this man comes running into the city, out of breath. The doors, the gates come open, and he yells, the priest is dead. What? The priest is dead. Are you serious? Don't play with me. Don't play with me. No, man. Last night he died. Last night, everyone in the country's mourning. They're just they're broken hearted. We love the priest. Are you kidding me? Mourning. We don't have time to mourn. This is the greatest news I've heard in my life. Thank you. Oh, I can't. You don't even go back to your apartment and grab your stuff. You head out to the countryside and you're looking for your son. You can't wait to see your daughter. You're looking for your wife. You've been thinking of this day for years. And just over the horizon, you see the little farmhouse and you go, sweetheart, the priest is dead. I'm set free. Come here, sweetheart, and let's kiss a little bit, bit this morning. It's all about the priest dying. And here's the good news for us. Jesus is declared the great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Hebrews 4. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we possess, profess. What am I pronouncing to you this morning? That the priest is dead. That the priest has died. And your time is over. Of guilt, shame, condemnation. I'm gonna have our prayer team come and stand at the front. And I felt this morning, deep in my gut, I need to make a declaration to some people in the house. You don't know Jesus. You don't know him as your Lord. You don't know him as your Savior. You don't know anything. Maybe you do. Maybe you have known him. But you've walked away. And today, it's the day that you come to Jesus 
and surrender your life to him. His life for yours, your life for his. I feel there's some people here this morning who feel like you've been in a city of refuge for a long time, filled with guilt, pain, condemnation, shame, regret. You're not a bad person. You're not a bad person. It just happened, it just, it just happened. But today the Lord wants to pronounce freedom over your life and say you're free. So I felt this morning, today we need to respond. And so in a minute, I'm gonna ask you to stand. But when I ask you to stand, I'm gonna ask you to make a bold move. Some of you need to know Jesus. Some of you need to be restored to the great high priest. And some, you need to see that the past is now the past. And this is a brand new day. And there was a priest who died for you. And he took every one of your mistakes and your unintentional words and your harmful actions and he hung them on the cross. And that stuff you've been hanging on to for all this time needs to be broken off of your life. And it happens through prayer. If any two agree on this earth touching any one thing, I will be there. And these individuals trained and excited to be here, waiting for this moment for somebody to come so they can pray with them. And so in a moment, the worship team is gonna play and sing. I wanna ask you to stand and without thinking about it, I want you to break out of your chairs. I want you to come and say, I need Jesus or I need prayer to break this thing off of me. Can you, can we know that that's okay. Just because you come doesn't mean you're, you're a problem child. Come on, you know that? Turn to your neighbor and tell him you're not a problem child. Come on. Turn to your other, turn to your other neighbor and tell him, do I need to walk with you down there? <laughs> Amen. Amen. So on the count of three, come on. One, two, three, stand to your feet. Come on and come right now. Come and receive Jesus. Come, I need set free. Come and re pray for me. Come right now and pray for me. I need Jesus in my life and in my heart. I need to be set free from these thoughts that have been plaguing my mind all these years. I come, I'm breaking out of the race of refuge. I need Jesus in the name of the Lord. Yes.
you, God. Yes. say a prayer for all of us here this morning. One last prayer. Just bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. Father, we thank you that you have brought us to a place of safety. We appreciate a house of refuge to come. But Father, more importantly, we appreciate and thankful for the death of the priests, the Son of God, the King of Kings, that pronounced to all of us one day, you're free and you're free indeed. So today we receive it and we rejoice in that fact. We, Lord God, are gonna just celebrate the fact that, Lord, our lives are forever changed and now others are gonna be changed from our life. So we present to you, Lord, our life as a living sacrifice unto you and we give you all the thanks and all the praise in Jesus' name. Can you give God some praise this morning for that? Amen. Come on, sing it together. Come on. Oh, Christ be magnified.